Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Associate Pastor Reverend Dave Kiefer. Tonight we're going to talk about the ABCs of Thanksgiving by taking a look at Psalm 34. Uh, Psalm 34 is an acrostic poem. Those were my favorite types of poems to write as a child, where the first letter of each line symbolized something. My favorite was the poem, poem Mom. M is for most marvelous of women. O is for outstanding. And M is for marvelous pumpkin pie baker. Acrostic uh, poems are fun. And Psalm 34 is an acrostic. It doesn't spell a word, but the beginning of each letter starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And unlike the English alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, which is why there are 22 verses. And so it provides for us the ABCs, literally speaking, of thanksgiving. It's written by David during a rather desperate time in his life. It was marked uh, by uncertainty and difficulty. And so we get a window into David's heart. And we see how his suffering, it, it doesn't harden him or embitter him. Rather, it strengthens him through faith and gratitude. So I want to briefly explain the context of the psalm and then we'll read the psalm and then reflect on it together. If you notice in the psalm, it has a title or a heading and it says this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. What is that about? Well, the event is narrated in 1 Samuel chapter 21 when David was on the run from Saul. And actually, there are seven psalms written by David while he's on the run from Saul. And Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 talk about the same event. And it's sort of like the VH1 behind the music, right? That's what 1 Samuel 21 is. It helps us understand what was going on in the life of David as he composed this song. Now, by this point in his life, Saul had tried to murder David several times. He had thrown a spear at David while he was playing a harp. He tried to send David into battle with the Philistines, hoping that the Philistines would do his dirty work for him and uh, that David would die in battle. But when that failed, David started making very direct, very open, very public murderous threats against David. That's what Saul did. And obviously, David fled Saul. And, uh, and Saul was chasing David around Israel. And Saul's standing command was to capture David, dead or alive. Saul threatens any who are trying to protect David. Uh, and that when Saul's spies reveal who had helped David, Saul would kill those people. And so David is in a very desperate situation when he's writing this psalm. How desperate? So desperate that he finds it safer to hide out 
in the town of Gath, that Philistine city where the giant Goliath was from, rather than to try to find refuge in any Israelite city. Now, while David's writing this psalm, his only provisions are Goliath's sword, which he peeled off of Goliath's dead body and uh, later stored for safekeeping with the high priest. And the other provision is bread from the temple that the high priest gave to him, a decision that the high priest would later pay with for his, uh, pay his life, uh, pay with for his life. Now, despite the risk, like I said, David believes it's safer to hide out in Gath than any Israelite town. Unfortunately, when he gets to Gath, some recognize him as that mighty warrior whom Israel sang songs about, that uh, Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so David is trapped within the city walls, and his enemies start pointing fingers at him, saying, you look familiar. (laughs) I think that's the man. For certain, it, it looks like him, the man who killed our champion, Goliath. And David would have been unable to defend himself. He's alone. He's surrounded, literally imprisoned within the walls of the city. If he opened his mouth to weave a tale, to try to explain himself, to throw all the Philistines off his scent, his Hebrew accent would have been a dead giveaway. But if he kept quiet, they might sequester his baggage, which had what in it? Damning evidence that he is David, for in that bag was Goliath's sword. And so... David's in Gath, trying to find safety. And it's like he jumped out of the frying pan into the fire, and he's hanging on by a thread. His life is hanging on by a thread. And yet it's in that moment that that God delivers him, as he had before. He doesn't deliver him through strength, but through weakness, not through a sword and a, a spear. But by David being utterly humiliated and evidencing great weakness. For David, the only way out was to role play very convincingly that he was a mentally ill person, one who had lost his sanity, that he was a homeless wanderer who had lost his mind. And David does this so effectively that the Philistines let him go, thinking certainly this pathetic man before us could never be the mighty king of Israel who has killed thousands. It's a, it's a dramatic scene. David is saved not by the skin of his teeth, but by the drool of his mouth (laughs) and the spittle that lay in his beard. That's the context of this psalm of praise and thanksgiving. So follow along as I read it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my foes. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man 
who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing good, lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and who loves many days that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord answers and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all of his bones so that not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. It's a beautiful psalm, but it's made even more beautiful because we understand the context. I'm so thankful that David made a note of what was going on in his life when he wrote this psalm because the psalm is grounded in the harsh realities of David's circumstances and because of that it reveals a beauty that's that's neither contrived nor skin deep the abc's of david's thankfulness are not the lyrics of some naive child who doesn't know any better that life can be harsh and cruel but this is the heart music of a man who knows just how bad things can get, just how dark life can be. And yet, and yet he chooses to sing a song of praise and thanksgiving to his God. Look at it, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. See, the A in the ABC of thanksgiving is for always, always, always bless the Lord at all times. Now, some of us are here tonight, and life is going swimmingly. We are on a high. The person we love loves us back. We're able to be with our our loved ones. We're anticipating this communion tomorrow. We can think about all of those delicious uh, dishes that we're going to be enjoying and, and we delight and we're anticipating it and it brings forth just natural and easy gratitudes of thanksgiving. And if that is you this evening, enjoy for it is a taste of heaven, a taste of God and his goodness. But some of us are here tonight and we've been where David's been, desperate, weak, humiliated, And like David, some of us may be feeling that our only defense to the loneliness, to the desperation, to the danger, is a temporary loss of sanity, at least for the moment. But David's song of thanksgiving is written to remind us that though we are desperate and humble and weak, the Lord is faithful to save and redeem, not just in spite of our desperate situation, but through it. 
So that in verse 2, the humble can be glad and actually boast. In verse 1, they can bless the Lord, not just at high times, but at all times. See, David understood that Yahweh is my God just as much when I'm standing over Goliath's dead body as when I'm being run down by King Saul, a friend who should love me instead of persecute me. Brothers and sisters, will you choose to give thanks to God and praise his name at all times? If life is going smoothly, do not take his blessings for granted, but bless his name. And if life is falling apart, do not despair of his blessings. They are just as real during the storms of life as they are during the sunny seasons of life. So in the ABCs of Thanksgiving, the A stands for always. Bless the Lord at all times. Start where David starts with verse 1, with a determination to recall the Lord's blessings, to reframe your harshest realities within the scope of God's faithful character. B. B stands for beckon. Let us beckon each other to praise the Lord. Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Brothers and sisters, that's why we've come here together tonight. Let it be the reason you assemble around the table tomorrow. Like King David, share your stories of God's grace upon your life. And don't allow yourself to be distracted all day by, by Netflix or the NFL football team. You know, as exciting as those games may be. Share your story as David does. He shares, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. See, David shares with us what God did for him. Look, he says, look at what God did for me. He lifted up my countenance. Fear weighed down my countenance. I literally wore fear and anxiety on my face, but the Lord interrupted my fear and my shame and my worry and he delivered me. And now my face radiates with joy, joy to the Lord, and it can be so for you. It can be for all those who look to him. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. How so? Well, in the same way a child's countenance changes after falling down and scraping their knee and they, they look to their parent and they're looking to read their parent. Is everything okay, mom and dad? Are you okay with this? Should I be okay with this? And as the parent's countenance holds, so does the child's. And the child's face turns from worry and fear to confidence and security. Isn't that the express outcome of Aaron's blessing that he gave to Israel? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance of his face and give you peace. See, the Lord's lifted up countenance is what gives us grace and peace. And David knew that. He knew that God was smiling upon him as a father smiles toward his son, even when his son faces his opponents. See, a father's smile is a special special smile. A father's smile communicates confidence. That's my boy. But it also conceals a protective power. That's my boy. So beware, because that's my boy. And David continues with this confidence, knowing that the Lord's countenance lifts up his own. 
He continues sharing his story of thanksgiving in 6 and 7. This poor man cried out, and the Lord answered him and saved him out of all his troubles. And the angel of the Lord, he camps around those who fear him and delivers him. See, David's talking about himself. He's retelling the tale from the lens of faith. He said, when I thought I was alone, the angel of the Lord was there to protect me. I couldn't see him, but he was at work, maybe giving David the wherewithal to remain silent and not give away his Hebrew accent, maybe preventing the soldiers from inspecting David's bags. And David beckons us to find our story and his story. It's as if David is saying, this poor man cried out to the Lord and I was saved. What might he do for you? Because those who cry out to the Lord will be saved. So he beckons. David beckons us to praise the Lord. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Verse 11. Come, oh children, listen to me. See, then he turns the coin over. Like two sides of a coin. He beckons us to praise the Lord. But that cannot be divorced from beckoning us to, fa- uh, to repent of failing to praise the Lord. See, those are two sides of the same coin. They cannot be divorced from each other. For failing to praise the Lord is no small or safe thing. And it's no small thing, not because God needs our praise. He, he's quite confident in who he, is, he, who he is. He doesn't need us to flatter him. However, failing to praise the Lord, it's unsafe because such ingratitude hardens our heart, embitters our heart. And embittered hearts are like sitting ducks for all kinds of evil seductions, from false words that seek to justify evil deeds and evil deeds that offer false peace. And so David flips the coin, not only beckoning us to praise God, but beckoning us to repent of failing to praise and thank God. And then in verse 12, he says, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Don't lie to yourself about the character of God. Turn from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. So there we have the ABCs of thanksgiving. A, always praise the Lord. B, beckon others to join in and warn them of the dangers of failing to do so. But then finally, C. C stands for covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. God's covenant faithfulness is the basis of our thanksgiving. We praise and thank God for who he is because his character is trustworthy. Notice David's focus is on the Lord and who the Lord is. Look, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord, the face of the Lord, the Lord hears, the Lord is near. David's focus is on the Lord bodily, his eyes, his face, his ears, his presence, because he wants to see the Lord for who the Lord is. And when he does, he has confidence, confidence of what the Lord will do. Notice the eyes of the Lord do what? They're toward the righteous. The face of the Lord is what? It's against those who do evil. The ears of the Lord, what are they doing? They're listening to the cries of the righteous for help and delivering them out of their troubles. And, and the presence of the Lord, he is near to whom? To the brokenhearted. And he serves the crushed in spirit. See, the, the confidence of David comes from God's character and his covenant faithfulness to his people. 
But notice this is no pie in the sky thinking. David holds to this covenant faithfulness of God in the midst of tremendous brokenness and exhaustion and despair. Notice how he's both hopeful but honest. He gives voice to the harsh realities. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he doesn't stop there. He tells the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, yes. But the Lord delivers us, delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. See, God's covenant faithfulness, it it simply must reframe everything to make sense of anything. We must know the rest of the story. The most memorable stories, if you think about it, are filled with darkness and hardship. And when protagonists, or if protagonists, were to be interviewed in the middle of a great story, what would their answer sound like? Would it sound exhausted, desperate, weak? See, when you're in the middle of a great story, it doesn't feel great, it doesn't look great. Not in the middle of the story. And that's true of any great story. The middle is dark. That was true of Abraham's story, of Joseph's story, of Israel's story, of Judah's story. But David knew the trustworthy character of the one who was writing his story. And David could give thanks while still walking through those dark middle chapters. And that's why he says that ultimately the the Lord will deliver him Ultimately, not one of his bones will remain broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, but ultimately, he will redeem the life of every one of his servants. And this is David's lived reality. That's why he's writing it in Psalm 34 to tell the rest of the story, to say, this is what God did for me. God delivered me. Not one of my bones were crushed, but my enemy's bones were crushed. See, David's life had moved past the dark chapters in the middle And the rest of his story reframed everything in the middle. And he wasn't about to let that fact go unmentioned. Because much of his life, as much of our life, the majority of our life, it's lived in the middle. It's lived in the middle of the dark chapters. The chapters where we're exhausted and weary and tempted to despair. And I don't know what chapter you're in right now. Some of you are here and you're at the beginning of your story and it's exciting. Some of you are in the darkest chapters of your life. But if that is you, hold on. It doesn't mean that your life is a tragedy or a terrible story. It only means that you're in the middle of a great story. And as we consider the middle of the greatest stories, I mean, Marvel knows this, right? Marvel Studios capitalizes on this. Infinity War, what a dark middle chapter. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince I mean, you know who dies. It's terrible. It's, it's a dark story. But the middle of the greatest story is even better because this is a story that's not made up. It is true. It really happened. The story of Jesus Christ. That's what makes it so amazing. And in the middle of his story, it was really dark. He's constantly misunderstood, persecuted, betrayed, 
beaten, crucified. But his story had what every great story has. Because in the middle of the dark chapters, Jesus' story tells us that we're not alone, that God is with us, that he understands. It shows us that God is often most powerfully at work in the dark chapters. And it proves to us that the middle is the middle. The middle is not the end. So let us look to the end and wait for it. Let us allow the rest of God's story to remind us of who God is, his covenant faithfulness, that he will not leave us hanging in the middle of a terrible story. But in Christ, he will redeem our story. He will finish our story. He will bring it to completion and final conclusion. And the end will be a new everything, a new hope, a new heaven and earth and resurrected bodies. And that gives us a lot of reason to endure and give thanks. The middle of David's story and the middle of Jesus' story reminds us, even as we linger in the middle of some dark chapters, that we can thank God. We can praise him even now. So there you have it. The ABCs of thanksgiving. Let us pray. God, we thank you that there's always a reason for thanking you, no matter how dark our situation. We thank you for David's story. It's raw, it's honest. But Lord, we thank you that in the midst of that dark story, you proved faithful. And we thank you that David took the time to reframe the story to show how you had been working mightily all along, even when he couldn't see it, that you deliver your people. And Lord, let us respond to his invitation, his beckoning to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, to join together and give thanks to you. Let that really soften our hearts and energize us as we, as we celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow. And God, we thank you for your covenant faithfulness. That's the basis of our trust. It can't be on our situations, which are desperate, but it's based on you who is faithful and true. And Lord, we thank you that you always prove yourself true. and You did it most powerfully in the life of Jesus Christ. And as we find our story in his, we have great hope to give thanks and praise, knowing whatever dark chapters we're living through right now, It's just the middle, and the end of the story is yet to be written, but we know it's a victorious ending. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust it and let it change the way we live, the way we speak. Let it give us hearts of of gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.